Welcome to Bitverse Byte, a weekly podcast about the web industry, tools and techniques upcoming and in use today. I'm Adam Listick, a web developer from Northern California and Central Illinois. If you'd like to help support the show, please tap the link in this episode's description if you're using the Anchor application, or visit anchor.fm slash bit-v-byte to become a monthly supporter. First up, starting off with some news. The annual Stack Overflow Developer Survey came out for 2019. A couple of interesting points in there. Python is one of the still fastest growing languages. And it seems, maybe anecdotally, that a lot of it has to do with its applications with data science and a lot of the flexibility that it offers. So pretty cool that it's still up there. I'm personally not a um, big Python user. I've only kind of dabbled in it, but it certainly makes me want to uh, check it out some more. Uh, A lot of the respondents to the survey noted that they had really started writing their first lines of code by around 16. But this really depended on the country and the opportunities that were presented. So obviously wealthier uh, countries were better off. But it does show that a lot of folks get started early with this, especially those that are really staying in the game. DevOps specialists and SREs or site reliability engineers are still showing as kind of happiest with their jobs, which no real surprise. I mean, they're tough, but they're, they're technically interesting and they pay a lot. And then China's developers are shown as the most optimistic in terms of the future of the industry and their own well-being. Whereas a lot of Eastern Europeans are not, are, are not seeing that same optimism. And everyone else kind of falls in between. So kind of a, a bunch of interesting insights into the current state of the developer landscape and where people are kind of feeling. But there's lots more info. Uh, check it out in the show notes. Edge's first Chromium build is out. Kind of like the alpha version of it. And they, they're starting with the basics. So a lot of the features that are native to uh, Chromium uh, has been stripped away. But that's okay because they're really kind of looking to see what the platform can offer them. You know, as a web developer, it's just exciting to have that one common platform to develop to. You know, as I've talked about before, though, the, you know, the downsides of that is you don't have the diversity in the ecosystem kind of push each other to innovate on new features. But it really does make a web developer's job harder when you have to support all these different platforms, especially with the different hacks or uh, supported types of things in there. But they are adding in some accessibility features and committing that back into Chromium, which should hopefully make its way up to Chrome itself. And a couple of things are adding on like smooth scrolling, Windows Hello support, and a bunch of other little stuff. But the fact is that they're giving back and making sure that You know, they're being good stewards of the technology as well. Atom 1.36 and jQuery 3.40 have both been released. And, you know, although a lot of folks have kind of migrated to use VS Code, the Atom IDE is still very popular. Uh, And it's because it does integrate so well with GitHub. And some of the things that it added on are like opening a single file without indexing a whole directory, which is really just a user experience um, add-on for sure. 
a bunch of fuzzy search enhancements and better Git merge kind of interface improvements. And really looking through how it handles integrating with GitHub, it is a very nice interface. And, and VS Code has a ways to get there, but um, you know, not to say that GitHub's the only place to integrate with by any stretch, but it is, it is pretty cool, especially for those that active, actively use that a lot. And then jQuery, I hadn't expected a uh, kind of a quote-unquote major release, I suppose, uh, in 3.4, though there weren't too many enhancements in this. Really, they did some width and height width and height performance increases uh, on there, uh, took care of some edge cases and that kind of thing, added um, nonce and no module tags uh, in that number only once kind of um, security measure that previously were being discarded or stripped out when you were including um, kind of extra code in there, and then a, a couple other minor fixes. But they do make note that there's a lot of refactoring that's going to go on in jQuery 4 which I haven't paid too much attention to, but the fact that they're continuing along and, and there's going to be another major update at some point in the future, still pretty cool. And finally, uh, the USWDS 2.0, and actually 2.0.1, I believe, um, design system was released. So what this is, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit later in the episode, but it is the um, design system that was created for the U.S. government. And it's just been updated with a bunch of new features, even a new font uh, they created specifically for this called Public Sans, uh, but pretty cool overall. And, and I'll, as I said, I'll talk about it a little bit more later as I find it kind of interesting. Moving on to some links and resources. Uh, there's a great article on Search Engine Land about using Google Tags with these new trigger groups. So uh, you know, I use this not to a huge extent, but I've definitely done some work with trigger, uh, the trigger ability within Google Tags. And really what this is, is this awesome new ability to record events based on if multiple triggers are fired. And this could be like you scroll 75% of the way down the page and then you click this button or any combination of those types of things or watch like a certain amount of this video and then do this thing. And it's really a better way to really record whether or not a conversion or action is really happening. So I think it's going to be a good use for really trying to kind of figure out for sure, you know, are things happening the way that you would expect and kind of what combinations of actions mean that a conversion is happening or anything to that degree. There's these OWASP cheat sheets, and that's the Open Web Application Security Project. So on GitHub, they have a bunch of these cheat sheets, and they're really great quick reference sheets for kind of security best practices and a whole variety of applications. I started perusing these, and they, they are really well, well kind of written. You know, they don't go into crazy amounts of detail, but they give you enough of the overview and some simple things you can do to really, um, it, it is some of the nitty gritty stuff as well uh, that you can do to kind of secure your various applications, be it Docker, be it just systems in general, uh, but really cool um, and very handy. So check it out. And finally, um, yet another awesome color tool called color.review, uh, and that's the website itself. And it's really nice since you can kind of see how a combination of colors work as they kind of give you the headers and body text uh, kind of made up down below it. 
and then it will give you a sense of how accessible it is based on the uh, accessibility scores at AA scores. Um, so uh, really neat. I like it more than some of the other tools I found. It's more of a check, though, I think, that in terms of the creativeness of how you can choose a palette, there are some other tools better for that, but a good check after you've done that. So finally, I kind of want to talk about what I mentioned before and that USWDS uh, design system. And, you know, it, so what is this saying? It's a common design system language and a set of standards intended to be kind of used on any device and increase the overall usability of government websites really across the spectrum. And this came about because there was a collaborative team at 18F and the US Digital Service around 2015. And they really just looked at all these other sites and showed that there are a plethora of different styles, systems, buttons, anything you name it. And anyone who's really kind of browsed around on any of the government websites over time, you know, especially over the past, you know, two decades, has probably seen that there is a crazy amount of design systems, some dating still back all the way to the early days of the web and how they look, and others being far more modern. Modern, Obviously, the bigger ones um, have had more attention paid to them, but it was hard when each little disparate unit really kind of came up with whatever they wanted to do at the time. There were, really wasn't a common design language. You know, which is interesting because there are government regulations depending on the accessibility, you know, the, and so you would think that there had been some commonality in terms of the user interface and this kind of stuff, but really there wasn't. So around 2015, they kind of got together a number, a smaller group of people and said, let's hammer this thing out. And I believe it took them about four months or so to, uh, to do this. So now coming to today, it's currently used on about 200 of some of the most popular government websites. But that really is still just a fraction of the almost, say, 4,500 sites over nearly 400 domains. And that was as of 2017, you know, the numbers I could find around then. So I'm sure it could be, well, it's hard to say if it's more or less, maybe they face some out, but I can only imagine probably more. So really, how is this better? Well. As with any design system, it's putting that consistency in the design experience, you know, what people are expecting, uh, common fonts, colors for accessibility needs, and just being responsive. You know, the sheer amount of sites that were not responsive prior to, you know, utilizing a system like this, which natively has that there, was pretty large. So even just being able to go browse to one of the government sites on your website or on your phone, makes a big difference, especially since that's a primary medium that a lot of us are using nowadays. Whether or not it's a good medium, you know, remains to be seen, but if you're on the go and you need that quick information, it does come in handy. So what I find really interesting is that this is a design system that essentially was created by a small amount of people that are, are really being evangelists about this and trying to push hard to get a lot of these bigger systems and websites out there that a lot of people use to get on board to make it easy. And with this 2.0 update, uh, something about it that I found different than a lot of design systems out there was they made it more about components. So this meant that maybe 
as a site, you didn't have to adopt all of the things. You could just start to adopt small parts of it. And as you start doing that, it was a lot faster to kind of dip your toes in. And for smaller website administrators and, and smaller governmental departments, maybe this is a way to kind of get started without having to worry about, I've got to re-architect everything. I think it's a really smart idea, and I think it's something that other systems can, and I'm sure there are other systems that do this, but others that can take some notes from it, because I think that this is a smart way to do it. You know, that incremental improvement um, or progressive enhancement, and it allows, especially in a bureaucracy that is difficult sometimes to move forward and make changes in, this is a quick and easy way that even small areas can make improvements to that experience. Obviously, with 4,500 websites or more, you know, it's going to take a long time. But as it's being shown to be proven on the larger ones, then I think it will make uh, a big difference. So I think it's really cool that, you know, having seen kind of a, a system like this come together, you know, it's not flashy. A lot of the things about it are, you know, pretty basic, but you know, just the pure sense that it was born out of this probably need and frustration to have some sort of commonality and make the experience better for folks. And even better, it's on GitHub. And you can, which makes sense because a lot of government should be open source and is open to the public. I mean, it's paid for by tax dollars and it, it should be owned by everyone. And so it's really cool to be kind of see the evolution of it, what's happening, where is it going? And maybe even to, um, you know, send in some uh, pull requests just to say, hey, I, I found something to fix or something better. Honestly, don't know if they take that. I want to go check that. But it's kind of cool to be able to kind of contribute to that open government in that way. And I really do think that that's more of the future of where a lot of these systems go is just having that ability to have everyone contribute. You know, not everything may be taken in. Not everything's a great idea. but to have that quote-unquote democracy in, in the design and in the technology makes a big difference, I think. So I just, you know, not to evangelize or anything, but I, I just found it very interesting. I've watched it over the years a little bit, and I, I think it's pretty cool to see it continuing to move along and just that idea of really being able to put this design system in the world that hopefully gets some traction and makes everyone's lives better. Or at least that's the hope. So anyways, I want to th stop there. Uh, just kind of some of my thoughts as to what I thought, you know, of that idea and kind of what I hope to see from it and what other frameworks might be able to pull from that kind of sense and, and maybe that incremental improvement. But anyways, uh, follow this podcast on Twitter at bitvbyte and Facebook at slash bitvbyte. Thank you for listening, and please join us next week.